Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. So I thought I'd start out today, you know, it's a little dreary outside, so the mood tends to be muted. Uh, So I thought I'd start by sharing something that could be pretty controversial. All right, you ready for this? I'm a cat owner, okay? I know there are a lot of dog owners in here, but I'm going to stand up this morning for us cat owners in the world, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. Cats are, they're just, frankly, they're easier, okay? They're just easier than dogs. I don't walk around my yard worrying about stepping on landmines. Uh, you know, they kind of clean themselves. They kind of take care of themselves. They're like, they're like a great roommate, right? Cats are like a great roommate. And um, it, we do have a cat, but it's not really, it's not really out of our choice. Uh, the reason why we had a cat was not because we were a huge fan of cats. Um, but because we had a, a huge rat problem. Uh, we had rats get into our cars and chew wires. That was the most like frustrating thing ever. Um, when we lived in Custer and we had rats get into our shed and chew up a bunch of stuff. And so Bonnie and I broke down. We're like, all right, we, we have to get a cat. We didn't really want to get a cat, but we're like, this is what they do, right? Cats kill rats. And so we decided to get a cat and we found a cat for free on Craigslist, which is a great place to look for cats. Um, and, and we got this cat and his name, uh, we changed his name to Clovis, uh, but we, we got this cat and um, he was a total indoor cat. Um, he had been babied his whole life by this group of college girls down at Western. The only time he ever went outside was with them. Like he had never been outside on his own at all. And so when we got him, when we got him home to our little half acre lot in Custer, uh, he felt really out of place. Like he was really scared. Uh, we tried to put him outside and he just freaked out. In fact, we, so we put him outside, and two minutes later, he's hanging from our uh, window screen, just ripping our screen to shreds, trying to get back in the house. And within three days, all of our screens were ripped to shreds from him <laughs> trying to get back in the house. And, um, and you're probably asking, why didn't you take the screens out? I don't know. <laughs> all right. I'm a little slow sometimes. Um, but yeah, you know, we'd put him outside and he'd freak out. He'd run a lap around our house, hugging the house. He wouldn't go five feet away from the house, just crying to be let back in. I got really frustrated. I was like, dude, you're a cat. You know, cats are supposed to live outside. Cats are supposed to have like this territory that they control. They're supposed to go out and kill mice. And I, I kind of want to take you back because, you know, you're not really doing your cat thing. And, um, you know, I wonder, it made me think about this, I wonder if our vision for our lives is a lot tamer than God's vision for our lives. You know, that if we kind of like to, to be indoors, how many of us want to be indoor cats? And I picture God calling us to his great purpose. You know, he's got a great mission, you know, love him with everything, love others with everything, um, carry the gospel everywhere. And we're sort of like, well, I don't know. I kind of want to stay inside in my PJs and watch TV, you know. I don't really feel like going outside and killing rats. But I think, uh, I think we all kind of value safety and security in our lives. 
You know, we like uh, safe homes and neighborhoods. We like safe cars. Like my, my daughter still, she's nine and she still has to use a booster seat. Like I remember when I was two, like being on the front seat of my dad's car, you know, and, and uh, that was the 80s if you were curious. And, uh, um, but, but yeah, my daughter has to, you know, be in a booster seat until she's like 12 or something. You know, we just are very safety conscious. And I wonder if safety is a value that we can let permeate our lives, if we can let kind of control our lives. And the question I want to wrestle with today, as we've been in this series, Jesus versus religion, is this. How would we follow Jesus if we weren't afraid? How would we follow Jesus if we weren't afraid, if fear was not a factor in our lives? If we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we could, we could bank on God, that God had our back no matter what. How would we live differently? Maybe some of us would quit our job. Uh, maybe some of us would move. Maybe some of us would start a band. And if that's you, I've got a long list of band names that I'd love to uh, share with you. But this morning, we're going to look at this story that Jesus tells about the tension between faith and fear. And for every Christian I've ever known, there's always been a tension between living by faith and living in fear. We all wrestle between faith and fear. And today we're going to read this story that Jesus tells. And it's a pretty long story, but since it's a story, I wanted to kind of read it in completion. So, so bear with us. Um, the words will be on the screen, or if you want to turn in your Bibles, it's in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Matthew 25. 14. And it says this. It says, For it will be, Jesus is talking about his kingdom, for it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a pretty harsh line to end on. <laughs> but here we have this story of a master and three servants. And two of these servants are faithful, and one is fearful. And as we read this, you might have been struck, I mean, initially, like I was, by that harsh penalty that that last servant received. It might have made you a little uncomfortable, and as it, as it did me when I first read it. But I think that's the point. I think it's supposed to make us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I don't think we can take what Jesus says here lightly, um, because there's a lesson that's so important that it, we need to lean in. We need to not miss what Jesus is saying here, because what if through this story, Jesus is actually teaching us what it means to have faith? What if Jesus is actually teaching us in this story what it means to have faith? You know, we talk a lot about faith in the church. You know, we talk about being a people of faith. Um, we talk about faith and believing in God. But what does that mean to you? What does faith mean to you? Um, for some, faith might mean praying a prayer at one point uh, and counting Christianity as their religion. For some, faith might mean having a Christian set of beliefs and values, holding to a, a worldview of Christianity. Um, but what if through this passage, Jesus is showing us that faith involves more than that, more than just believing in our heads? What if our faith is something that we can bank our entire lives on? And so Jesus says that the kingdom of God, it's like this scenario between the master and his servants. And he entrusts his servants with something valuable. Each of his servants get a different amount of talents. And the talents here, um, I mean, it, it kind of works with our idea of talent, like we all have our own individual unique talent and skill. Um, but what he's talking about, uh, talent was a, a large sum of money. It was like uh, 60, about $60,000. And so Jesus entrusts each of these servants with uh, different amounts of money to, to invest. And so one he gives $300,000, one he gives $120,000, and one he gives $60,000. And then the master leaves with this expectation that they're going to do something uh, with this deposit. And the truth is, when we entrust our lives to Jesus, he also entrusts us with something. He, he deposits something in us. And do you know what that gift is? It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's him in us. He gives us the Spirit of God. In 2 Corinthians, um, it, Paul spells it out, and he says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul calls it a guarantee. It actually, it's like, it's actually technically earnest money. Like if you put earnest money on a house, it's like that first deposit. And Jesus is saying, this Holy Spirit that I'm giving you, this is that first deposit of heaven, of, of what you are to become. And in faith, we're supposed to do something with that. Uh, we're supposed to do something with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit works in us to make us more like Christ. Uh, the Spirit is the power of God working out things in our lives, whether that come comes through difficulty or success. It's the Spirit of God that's at work in our lives, making us more like Christ. 
And the question that this story is asking us is that if we've received the Spirit, then what are we doing with it? What are we doing with the Spirit of God that, that he's entrusted to us as a deposit? Are we living by faith, empowered by the Spirit of God, or are we burying that deposit? Scripture talks about quenching the Spirit in, in other parts of Scripture. Are we living by faith? Are we trying to live into that Spirit, or are we burying it? See that two faithful men, they invest their deposit, and they end up doubling their money. They're willing to risk. They act on what their master has entrusted to them. Um, they want their master's confidence to be rewarded in them, that, that they would make good on what he has given. And God has given each of us unique opportunities, uh, unique uh, skill sets, unique um, works to do, and unique talents, abilities. And the same question, it's the spirit that empowers us um, if we walk with him. I wonder, have you ever taken the time to list out all the things that God has given you or equipped you with? Maybe that would be a good exercise this week. What if you just took some time and listed out, God, here's all my opportunities that I have. Here's everything that you've given me, whether that be spiritual gifts, skills, personality traits, your family, your friends, um, your house, uh, your job, your career, whatever that is, God's given us so much. He's gifted us to serve in different ways and to, to, to build up his church and to reach out to others in love. And if you believe in Jesus, you have a purpose. And everything you have, God wants to empower us to use in the Holy Spirit. But the question this asks is, what are you doing with it? Uh, the, the first two servants were faithful. You know, they didn't sit on what was given. It said the one who earned five talents, he went at once and, and invested it right away. Um, he didn't sit on it, but they applied it. And because of that, their work was fruitful. And that's sort of the first principle that we need to look at today. The principle from the first two servants is this, is that being faithful leads to being fruitful. Like if you're faithful with what God has given you, if you're faithful with what God has entrusted to you, if you're constantly giving back your, your job, uh, people that he's entrusted to you back to him, it's going to bear fruit. The Spirit is going to bear fruit in those situations. And what I like is that the master didn't expect them to bring back the same amount. There was no grading on what was yielded. The question was just, are you faithful with what I've given you? So there wasn't much of a difference between the guy who, who got five talents and the guy who brought back two talents. The question was only, or, or have you been faithful with what has been given to you? And if they have, they were both entrusted with more. But why it didn't really matter was the statement that came after that, when the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, that's the reward. It won't really matter who did what for the kingdom, when you hear that, when you hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, like that satisfies um, any reward that we need. And what I love is that God isn't asking us to match what other people are doing. He's not asking us to be somebody else or be somebody we're not. He's asking us to be faithful to what he's given us specifically to use what we have, our time, our talents, our treasure, for his kingdom. When I was in Portland, I had a professor named Tom Shive, 
and Tom talked about being in school and talking to his professor, and he said, you know what, I want to be the next Billy Graham. You know, I want to, I want to preach and have thousands come to Christ, and um, I want to be influential. And his professor said, no, God doesn't need you to be the next Billy Graham. God needs you to be Tom Shive. Like, God needs you to be who you are for his kingdom. He doesn't need you to be anybody else. He doesn't need you to, to have the same type of ministry or, or calling as anybody else. He created you to be you and to be uniquely you and to be faithful with what he's given you. And that doesn't mean that he created you for yourself, that you could go out and live a selfish life, but he did create you yourself, everything about you, for other people that there's no one who can love other people uniquely as you, or there's no one who has the same sphere of influence as you do. So it's, it's that God created you individually for your own mission, your own calling that we all need to walk into. And that doesn't mean that everything is going to click. Uh, when you step out in faith, usually it never does. Usually it comes through struggle. Um, but it means that you can feel empowered to be you, to step out and try things and, and do things. That baby is so cute, man. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and you can trust that if, you are stu- if, if you're faithful with what God has given you, if you're pursuing God, if you're giving every, everything you have back to God, that you'll have a fruitful life. And that's this promise, that's this guarantee of the Spirit. The guarantee of the Spirit is that when you trust Him, you will have a fruitful life. So we see that being faithful leads to being fruitful. Um, But we also need to heed this warning of this last servant, that Jesus talks about this last servant as a warning to us, the, the one that puts us on edge a little bit, like, ah, I don't know, but we should probably go there. Um, the last servant who was given the least, he wasn't faithful with what God had given him. Um, maybe he didn't know what to do with the deposit, but instead he took the deposit and he buried it, right? He said, okay, I've received the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to put it on the shelf. I'm just going to put it in the sand. I'm just going to bury it and pretend like I never had this encounter with Jesus. Um, and the master, or the master, and his master replies, with this saying, he says, wicked and slothful servant. I think the word that stuck out to me there was this word slothful, and I looked it up, and, and basically what it means is it means shrinking. That it's, it's living in a way where fear causes you to shrink and, and, and kind of collapse in on yourself. It's a fear that causes someone to give up on the mission of God. Like, it's, it's too hard. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do it. I just want to be inside where it's safe and warm. And instead of living by faith, it's easy to become idle, I-D-L-E, right? It's easy to just do what we want to do. If we're not living for this mission that God's given us, then what do we have, right? I mean, this is what, this is our purpose. And if we're not walking into our purpose, then life kind of becomes a series of momentary happiness, right? We're just kind of about the momentary passing happiness. And so the root of the problem is fear, and it's this fear that leads the servant to do nothing. I mean, what was he doing with all his time, right? You have to ask that. Like, what was he doing? So he, he has a job. He buries it in the sand, or he buries it in the dirt, whatever, and he just leaves. 
And he's like, yeah, I'll check back in with the master when he comes back. And the master's saying, it doesn't work like that. I gave you, I didn't just save you from something. I saved you for something. You know, I have this deposit that I want to see a yield on. He says, hey, even if you just put that in the bank, even if you just did a little with it, it would show your faith. You know, it would show that you, you know, um, it would be better than, than bringing back exactly what I had left. And I think that what this shows us is that when we receive Jesus and we, we receive the Holy Spirit, we can't leave unchanged, right? Receiving Jesus isn't a stamp that we get and all of a sudden we have admission into heaven, you know? It's something that changes us. It's something that's supposed to take root and develop and grow in all of our lives, and if, if we are allowing fear to mute that or for us to not pursue God or we're distracted or whatever it is, that's not faith. And so this is the principle from that last servant is that being fearful leads to being fruitless. If being faithful leads to being fruitful, being fearful leads to being fruitless. When we allow our lives to be ruled by fear, we're not living by faith. If we're always concerned about um, our own lives and, and all of the trouble, and we're not handing any of that to God, we're not living by faith. Faith requires action. Faith requires us doing the things that might not make sense to our friends, might not make sense to our family, but it makes sense to God. It, sometimes faith requires us to, to get out there and do uncomfortable um, things, talking to people that we don't know very well or serving people who are sick. And if we think that our faith in Jesus is just believing the right things or praying a prayer, then we're missing it. Faith is way more than that. Faith leads into this life of following Jesus. I want to look at what James says in James 2.14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith in itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I think what they're saying is faith has to go somewhere. Faith is a river, it's not a lake, right? Like, faith has to go somewhere. Our engagement with the Spirit has to go outward. And that's this evidence that we've been changed by the Spirit. Now, what we don't want to take away from this passage is works don't save us. Like, God doesn't give us, like, a laundry list of things to do and say, okay, well, now you're saved, now you're good. That's not what he's talking about at all. But it's this evidence of our faith that it's going to come out in the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to show up in how we love other people. It's going to be evidenced in how we reach out, how we love, how we conduct ourselves. And so what we need to, reconcile, uh, rec what we need to recognize this morning is this. And this is sort of the, the, the main point of this warning is that you can't have the faith without the following. Having faith in Jesus and following Jesus go hand in hand. All right? So faith is not a stamp that we get. It's not a ticket into heaven. It's actually taking steps forward with Jesus. And th that involves fear sometimes. That involves surrendering our fear to God. And just being, I don't, I don't know, uh, I, I don't feel super secure in this situation, but I'm secure in you, Jesus. And I'm willing to take a step forward. Um, 
Because I think what this passage is teaching is that there's no such thing as passive faith. We can't have a passive faith. You know, and I admit, life would be a lot easier if there was a passive option on faith, right? If we could just check the box and go back and do what we want to do and, and what, you know, hang out at home. Um, but there isn't this passive option uh, to faith. It always requires us to move forward. Bill Hull puts it this way. He says, the ultimate call of Jesus's gospel is to follow him, that our faith leads to following, that following Jesus is the evidence that we actually believe in Jesus, that we believe in him enough to, to put weight on him, to trust him, to move forward in him. That's evidence of our faith. And scripture always ties faith to obedience. Faith shows up through what we do. Faith, uh, it, faith is something that makes us seek God every day. Like if, if you're having trouble figuring out, well, what's my first step? Maybe it's waking up in the morning and saying, God, I give you today. Whatever you want to do, I'm here, I'm available. Whoever you want to lead me to, lead me there. Maybe it's just that simple surrender to God on a daily basis, asking him to lead you, asking the spirit to lead you. Because faith without following Jesus, what he's saying, faith without following Jesus is still disobedience. And it reminds me of a common scenario in my household. Um, If I tell my two boys to do something that they don't want to do, like clean their room, they'll just throw a fit. And, you know, and they will wage a war, and I'll win eventually, but they, you know, they will throw a fit. My daughter, on the other hand, is a lot more sly than her brothers, wiser. Um, but if I tell her to do something that she doesn't want to do, she says, okay, Dad, very sweet. And then she slips away and spends 15 minutes somewhere else reading. And I, I come to her, I'm like, hey, I asked you to, you know, clean your room. What are you doing? And she's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get, I'll get to that, you know. And I think sometimes we try to be sly with God, right? Like we try to be sly with God, and maybe we've unintentionally created this idea that I can just have a passive faith, or if I check in with God, um, I'm good. But this is saying we don't have an option for passive faith, that our faith has to be active. We have to pursue God, just like he's pursued us. I wish we could be sly with God, but I I don't think we can. So because God can see everything and because God knows our hearts, our really only play is to be honest with him about where we're at. So if we find ourselves in a place of passivity, we need to just be honest with him and say, yeah, I have just buried my talent in the sand, but I'm ready to unbury it. Um, And we need to wrestle with that. Are we being faithful? Are you being faithful with what God's given you? Or is there something in your life that you need to unbury? Is faith something in your life? that you need to unbury. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you find yourself in this passive place, that deposit is still there in your life. The Spirit of God is still there. You just need to dig it up. <laughs> you know, you just need to dig up the Spirit of God and, and live in the Spirit of God. There's freedom in the Spirit of God. There's, there's freedom in living in the Spirit of God. There's a freedom where I don't have to, you know, follow a list of rules or a checklist. I just need to simply ask the Spirit to be at work in my life. That's a lot easier than following all the rules that the Pharisees were trying to get their followers to follow, right? It's this freedom of relationship with God. And so today, if you find yourself in a passive place, maybe you just need to admit that and confess that to God. Say, God, I'm sorry for being passive. 
God, I'm sorry I've been hiding in fear instead of seeking your will for my life. And we need to pray for God to change our hearts this morning. Because it could be a turning point in our faith. It could be the point where we actually go outside and we stop freaking out and trying to claw back into the house. Um, You know, I would say this. It took a few months, but Clovis finally became a great outdoor cat. You know, he warmed up. But I'll tell you, by the end of three months, I mean, he was bringing in, well, he wasn't bringing in, but he was killing rats, mice, moles, rabbits. I mean, it was, he was, he was fully cat at that point. Uh, we, were, we were giving him a little extra tuna with his dinner at that point. Um, but we need to ask that today. What would it look like to unbury your talent, to unbury the Spirit of God? If you feel like you've quenched the Spirit of God in your life, what would it look like to unbury that and to, to tap into that, to ask God to direct your life? What would it look like to have a fruitful life with what you've been given, with what you have, with your job, your family, your friends, your platform, whatever that is? What would it look like to be fruitful, to have the Spirit of God empowering all those different areas of your life? Because I can tell you that God doesn't want you to be trapped by fear. God isn't waiting for you to screw up. He wants you to realize that you have this incredible gift of the Spirit of God that you can walk in and live by. And it starts with connecting with him. It's not the laundry list of to-dos. It just starts by connecting with him, talking with him, cultivating a relationship with him. God is a relational God. That's why, that's why we have God the Father and Son. Like, it's a relational God. We serve a relational God. And if you think about the fruits of the Spirit, what are the fruits of the Spirit that the Bible talks about? They're not all the external things, right? They're the internal things. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, Paul spells out. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like that's where the fruit starts. It's in your own life. It's the fruit that shapes your own character. Because God wants to shape your character before he shapes anything else. He wants your heart first. Because I think this, I think if God has your heart, the rest is easy. The rest is so easy. If God has your heart, if God has your affection, the rest is easy. You can walk by the power of the Spirit, and you won't even have to say much to people. People will ask you, what's different? And the Spirit will lead us where he wants us to go and use us as he sees fit. And he'll give us that place where we can live into our gifting, live into our calling, the one that he has for us. And so this morning, as we close, as the band comes up, I just want to challenge us, challenge us all. We're all in this together. Like, we're all seeking God. And the last thing I want to do is to be a passive church in our community. I don't want to be a passive church. I don't want to be a church that buries what God has given us, but to walk in boldness and courage with what God has given us. I don't want to be a church that's invisible to our community. I want to be a church that loves its community fiercely, that, that is in the, the fabric of our community, that's present with our community. And when a need comes up, that we respond just like I love what Allison shared this morning about the, the, the food backpack program. Like, that is a real need. 
That is a, a, a real need. There's 50 more kids on a waiting list right now, waiting to get on this program. And I believe it, we shouldn't look to pass the responsibility somewhere else. I think that's something God's given the church to do. So it's things like that. How can we love our community in a way that's present? Instead of playing it safe, let's be okay with embarrassing ourselves sometimes, okay? Let's be okay with trying. Can this be a safe place to try things? Can we make this a safe place to try things? And like my guitar instructor said a lot to me, if you fail, fail hard, you know? Like if you're gonna fail, man, just fail hard, okay? Just go for it. Um, but let's not give in to fear. Like let's be a church uh, that walks in boldness and tries things and, and finds out what God has wired us for. Because I guarantee you there are a lot of gifts in here that the Spirit is waiting to bring out. Gifts of teaching, encouragement, hospitality, service, administration. Like if you read the Bible, the list of gifts is massive. And I believe that there is a lot of potential that in this room right now that the Spirit of God wants to bring out. And the last thing, instead of have, allowing fear to have a place in our lives, let's pray for boldness. Maybe that's where we need to start. We need to pray for boldness. The church in Acts, when they experienced persecution, all the believers got together and they didn't pray for safety. Um, they didn't pray that God would just wrap a bubble around them. What they prayed for was boldness. Boldness to go out and share the gospel some more. Boldness to be willing to take a hit for the gospel. Boldness to continue with the faith that Jesus had given them. And I believe that if we pray for that boldness, that the Spirit will answer that prayer for us. And that the name of Jesus will be proclaimed loud here in Blaine and Birch Bay and Langley and Surrey and Ferndale all over if we pray this prayer of boldness. Because I think often fear confuses us when boldness sets us free. If we follow the Spirit of God and we pray for boldness, I believe that he will answer. And so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to encourage you to pray with me this morning. We're going to pray for boldness. And we're going to pray, not just for, for boldness as a church, but also personally. Ask God, is there anything that I've buried? Am I, am I living too passively? Are you calling me out? Let's do that this morning. God, it's very easy, Lord, to just allow fear to creep into our lives, uh, to cause us to be silent to cause us to shrink. I know because I've felt that fear, God. And I pray, God, that you would give us victory over fear this morning. Whatever the fear is, God, whether it's, it's fear of following you, whether it's just fear of not being able to survive this week, whatever it is, God, would you give us victory over fear? You say in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. Ultimately, our assurance is that you are with us and that you love us, God. So if we don't feel that this morning, I pray that we would feel your love in a new way, that we would have assurance in a new way, that we wouldn't bow to fear in our lives, God, that we wouldn't bow um, to anything in our lives except for you. So God, give us the courage and the boldness to step out of that this morning, to step out of our fear and into a life of more faith. And God, I pray that for our church today. I pray that we would be a bold church. 
I pray that we would speak the name of Jesus to our neighbors and our community. I pray that we would love even when it's difficult. God, that we would um, connect with people, God, even when we don't really feel like it, God, that you would give us a spirit of courage and boldness and just a confidence to know that we're yours, that we're not doing this to earn anything, um, but we are your sons and daughters. And because of that, God, we can live courageously. We can live with all the confidence in the world because you've given us the power of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, I pray for that power, God. I pray for it to fall on our hearts. God, I pray for us to be able to walk into this power of God. Live mightily for you. Jesus, we ask for all this in your name. Amen.